Welcome, everyone, or should I say welcome back to another Welcome to the J episode. This is season two. Uh, I'm your host, Hensley Madiga, a.k.a. 12, a.k.a. Canadian Rebel, if you know me that way. We have a lot to get through in this show. A couple of games have happened since the last time that we were able to record. Uh, so, again, lots to talk about. But before we get into it, make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network for content such as this. Different individuals represent the alma maters like I'm doing right now. A special guest is on the show. He's been on the show before. We're walking him back. This is my producer, Jack Hanson-Reed. Uh, he's been such a big help for me this year. And every once in a while, we'll stop in, we'll check in together, we'll do what we like to call a State of the Jays show. Uh, after a few games, after a few guests, we like to just kind of regroup and really think about how the season is going, how, how we have gone to where we've gone to so far, uh, and, and a whole bunch of fun stuff along those lines. So, Jack, welcome back onto the show. How are you feeling, brother? Thanks, man. It's good to be back on. Uh, yeah. As as some of you may recall, Jack is the drummer in our band, so he's literally got a front row seat at every game for the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything. <laughs> so, like I mentioned, a couple of games have happened right before we got a chance to do uh, another show. Uh, the first game was at home against Xavier. Up 17. We end up losing that game by 10, 74 to 64. Uh, Ryan Nehmar to stand out in that game, 23 points, uh, only two assists, but, you know, really had the ball in his hands in tough situations, made a lot of shots for the Jays, uh, kept him afloat in some situations, but the boys just didn't have nearly enough to, to pull that game out at home. Jack, you have in a uh, front row seat. What did you see that happened in that game that, you know, could have been avoidable? I mean, it was a tale of two halves, right? It was the most deflating start to a half I've ever seen. Uh, I think, right? 17 lead, 17-point uh, lead going into the second half, and then 11 minutes without a score. So not only no field goals, we couldn't get a free throw for 11 minutes, which is just bizarre. 51% um, field goal percentage first half, 29% in the second half. Uh, so they got it back together, right? I mean, we're probably hovering around 50% in those last nine minutes. But I think for fans who don't have the perspective that a former player does, it's so puzzling to see how a team could change like that. Right. And I don't know, do you think this is adjustments on Xavier's parts or did we fall apart? I mean, what are you seeing in those 11 minutes? One, it was the toughest 11 minutes to watch this entire season for sure. Uh, like you said, not even able be able to get to the free throw line, get a free throw, just kind of break the ice a little bit. And you just saw, you know, Xavier play with a sense of urgency. And I just felt like the boys came out just a little lackadaisical. Uh, I don't know what it was but like you could tell from my tv screen anyways from the perspective that i had i'm like we're moving a little slow right now we're a little careless with the ball before you know it you know with the ascension of the three-pointer in today's game for sure no lead is safe no lead is safe in the nba no lead is safe in international basketball i know that you know speaking of experience and no lead is safe in college basketball either so down 17 points Xavier put their foot on the gas and decided this is how we're going to win the game we're just going to have to stretch Ryan Cockburner out, have our centers shoot threes. And if they go in, they go in. They'll give us a great chance to get back to the game. And, you know, they start off hot making the first three threes. And, you know, the rest was kind of a snowball effect. They had all the momentum at that point. They felt good about themselves, confidence riding high in the Jays. You know, having that, like I said, like today's goal start to the second half, uh, just couldn't really find our mojo. And it took 11 minutes to start hooping again. And, you know, that's never a situation you want to put yourself in. So 
it's kind of tough, you know, um, I, like you said, like I've been a former player in those locker rooms. I know what the message is. You know, I think Coach Mack went in there with a message of, you know, it looks like we're up 17, but let's start this half off 0-0. Zero, zero. Sometimes a young team doesn't really grasp that understanding that, you know, every minute is very, very valuable. You don't have a chance to just kind of work uh, things back up. You can't just flip that switch whenever you decide to. So I think a little bit of both of those things had to play in it, but I mean, I would have to give a lot of credit to Xavier in that situation. They came out on fire and they kept their foot on the gas and their foot on Creighton's neck. Yeah. All right. Hopefully this is a lesson for the young team. Get burned once. Don't let this happen again. 17 point lead. You got to hold on. You make a great point though, bringing up big man play because uh, Nunji and Fremantle were amazing. And I think they really stretched Kalkbrenner out of his defensive area of comfort. Uh, and then Hawkins was really a non-factor for most of the game. Yeah, Kyle Brenner, as much as he does inside the paint, could also be a liability, as you see when teams have stretch fours and stretch fives, that he's going to have to go out there and guard. Now, for a big man, I will say, for the most part, what I've seen on switches, he uses his length really, really well. Uh, he's able to keep himself at bay from, like, quicker, smaller guards. But what really did him in was the recovery off of ball screens and pick-and-pop situations where he was just, you know, a little too slow-footed for those instances, um, gave the Xavier Biggs a chance to really catch the ball, locate the rim, and, and let it fly. So, you know, it's tough to be in that situation. I'm not a seven-foot guy, you know? Like, I, I don't really know what that feels like. I've been taught all my life how to close out and, and to handle people on the wing. But for guys who were taught, I guess it would be like just me being thrown down in the paint in a mismatch situation, you know, how to defend a bigger guy because I don't have as much training in that, you could see that I would struggle uh, in, in some situations. I think Cogbrenner just found himself in those situations where in closeouts, he was really struggling to, you know, get up into the shooter and, and force them to drive as opposed to allowing a catch-and-shoot situation. And uh, yeah, he, he got burned off of that a couple of times and, and really let things get rolling for Xavier. As you see, you know, as I know from being a creative Blue Jay, launching threes and making threes is a domino effect that could really affect the whole team. Before you know it, everybody's hitting. And that was actually one of our models that we used to play is everybody hits, everybody hits. So uh, it, it just kind of happened to fall for Xavier that night and they were able to come back from a 17-point lead. Yeah. Do you see this as kind of an issue that's going to need some individual attention and work from our bigs? Or are we going to need to take a look at changing schemes if we're playing teams with this type of personnel? That's a very interesting uh, question because it's certainly – multiple ways to, to skin a cat, as they say. Um, one way that we could do is, is just to have bigger rotations, right, which is going to, at the end of it all, kind of put everybody in a mismatch situation. But the initial threat of the cash and shoot three coming from a pick and pop big will be taken away. You know, if you have guards on the weak side whose job it is to run at and fly at that big, make him make an extra pass, and then you have to trust that the back line of the defense is also going to rotate in that way and get the second, third guy and just continuously move. That puts a lot of different people in closeout situations. But at the very least, when you see pick and pop uh, actions happening, it's going to take away the main threat of that five being able to just cash, locate the rim and, and shoot, like I said earlier. So that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is to really try to coach up the bigs, obviously, to get out there. And, and no matter what happens, do not allow a shot force fives and fours to put the ball down the floor and, and show their versatility and their flexibility as players to do more than just one thing, which would be in that situation to just, to just catch and shoot from the top of the key. So 
uh, I'm sure Ryan Cogbrenner came out with all the intentions and, you know, we're picking on him right now because that that's who was uh, in those rotations as he was recovering from ball screen uh, responsibilities. Um, but I'm sure in that situation, he's thinking to himself, you know, we've done closeout drills before. I just have to make sure I get up and I throw my hands up. But by that time, you know, especially if a big catch is fired, it's a little too late. You're not going to block a shot from a six, nine and up guy who's able to just line it up and, and let it rip. So, uh, in my opinion, he should have done a better job of just running them off the line, make that guy attack you, especially maybe with his left hand, and see if you can get all the way to the basket, and then also trust that your defense is going to be behind you to provide some help as well. Um, but you know, we saw it too often that you know it was too short of a closeout and and a little bit too late, uh, and it just gives Xavier Biggs a chance to to see the rim, locate rim, and, and let it fly. Before we move on to the next topic, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If we haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now's the time because they're offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With basketball season tipping off, get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call telephone number 1-800-GAMBLER. Unfortunately, we have another game to talk about where the second half was not as strong. We lost the lead. <laughs> that was a win, though, over number 17. Yeah, um, which yeah. We'll talk about the details, but... What does halftime look like for the Jays in which co- with Coach Mack, especially those games where you got a lead, but you want to hold on to it. It's not safe. Coach Mack is about as cool and level-headed as a coach as he can find. Um, so he comes in, whether you're up and you're down, and, and he's pretty calm. You know, unless there's something that glaringly happened that beat us over the head in the first half, that's when you can see him come in and be a little bit more fired up. But that hasn't happened too often in the Jays teams that he's coached. Like, he's always been in the fight, at least at halftime. You know, like, there's never been really much of a blowout. Uh, I, I mean, I could think about San Diego State on the road my sophomore year when we were down 18. But we managed to, you know, give ourselves a chance at a late rally in the first half and make it reasonable uh, by halftime. So even then, he came in level-headed, cool. So being up 17, you know, going back to that Xavier example, I could imagine him just walking and be like, guys, like we're doing all the right things, you know, like here's what, here's where we can attack here's what we have to uh, try to avoid. I'm sure he said that they're going to come up with a sense of urgency. I'm sure he preached that. But like I said, sometimes with a younger team and, and guys who, and I say younger team, I recognize that O'Connell and Hawkins are, are seniors who are, you know, playing their last seasons as collegiate athletes. But the guys who are making most of the decision-making, you're talking about Trey Alexander, you're talking about Ryan Nemhard, uh, you're talking about Arthur Kaluma, who's been on the wing a lot this year, coming off ball screens, and, you know, he's learning the system. Those guys who are in those decisions, Rati coming off the benches and other guard who are making those, you know, critical decisions, those guys are still really, really young. And those are going to be the main decision-makers, you know, on, on the floor for the Jays. So, uh, you know, sometimes those messages, you look at the clock, at the scoreboard, you're like, well, I'm up 17, I'm good. Like, that, that's not how it works, not in college basketball. Right. And like I said, not in this era of three-point shooting. So, you know, that kind of happened in the Xavier game. We'll get into more details about the UConn game um, and, you know, why 
to allow UConn to get back into the game. I think that was more of a game plan issue where Coach Mack puts a lot of those points on his shoulders as opposed to the players on the floor, you know, making mistakes, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, the Coach Mack that I know, at least, and, and the guy that I've spent four years playing under and, and just kind of witnessed his development as a coach, that is the one thing that Coach Mack is. He's super cool, level-headed going into halftime. And it's kind of up to the players to just kind of receive that message at that point. You know, sometimes it's not necessarily how the message is said is what the actual message is. If he comes in guns blazing, yelling at the guys, they still have to decipher that message. So in my opinion, I'd rather have a coach that seems cool, level-headed, understanding where we're at um, and delivers that message. And a coach is going to come in, throw chairs and, you know, do the whole rah-rah thing and, and just kind of get guys a little bit distracted as opposed to, you know, giving them what the actual message is supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, let's talk let's talk about this Yukon game unless you have another question that you'd like oh, to extend no, about say, you know the halftime stuff. We should mention coach Max back from the covid break. So that should help right, yeah. the young team. I can imagine not having him there would be a distraction. Um, I mean if I'm not mistaken he wasn't there for the Xavier game, correct? Or Yeah. He was yeah, he was back already? Uh, I think he still wasn't back. Exactly. And you know Right. I said all of that. Now I'm just realizing that it was, you know, Coach Huss who was uh, holding down the floor for Coach Mack, which, again, I think uh, we mentioned it in the previous podcast how difficult it is to look over uh, when we had Zach Hansen to look over it. And let's just say, like, in our situation, it would have been a Coach Murph or Coach DeVries as an assistant at the time. It, it is kind of weird to not see the big fella there, you know, directing traffic and, and you know, coaching up his team the way he wants it to look. Um so that maybe also had, you know, some to do with why the Jays didn't execute in the second half as well as they did. But, you know, we would like to think that, you know, such a talented group uh, would have those kinds of answers. But sometimes you have to just chalk it up to inexperience. And, you know, the model has been for this year on this podcast, we have to practice and exercise patience. So I'm going to try and preach it again as much as I can to, to try not to rip out my own hair, as well as help you guys out there listening, not rip out your hair as well. <laughs> <laughs> we need the reminder this week, man. So what'd you see out of this, uh, this win over number 17, UConn? Number 17, UConn on the road, big time dub for the boys, which is so crazy. Like as much as I say exercise patience, this team just keeps giving you glimpses and, and hopes that they're turning the corner, that they're figuring it out, that they're going to understand how to win, you know, not only close games, but, you know, tough road, big East games. Uh, so on the road, number 17, uh, UConn, 59-55, went for the boys. Uh, Ryan Hawkins breaks out of his slump. Uh, he was spectacular in the first half, really pushed that 10-point lead that we had going into halftime, and then made some timely, timely plays in the second half to make sure that we keep our heads above water as UConn really, really surged uh, back. 23 points for Hawkins, 8 of 12 shooting. You love to see it uh, from the floor, especially for a guy that had been so good for the first dozen games of the year and just kind of, you know, went through a little bit of a mid-season slump. We hope that this game is really going to be a, a, a turnaround uh, point for him. Uh, just speaking on Ryan Hawkins' aggressiveness, uh, what did you see, Jack, uh, that really helped him, you know, get going in the first half? I mean, he's doing it on both ends, right? 11 rebounds. So I think mm -hmm. he's kind of, he's putting in the work. He's gone through the slump. Um, and I think the rebounds were always there, right? He's, there's an assist man, but Coming off that Xavier game, I mean, I think he had four points or he got a garbage bucket at the end, bringing him up to like four or six. 
So he needed mm-hmm. these 23 uh, and not only eight for 12, but four for five from three. So he's feeling mm-hmm. it. I mean, hope he keeps carrying that through. Um, but the guy I was really impressed with was Trey Alexander. I mean, huge game for him. Yeah, I'll get to Trey in a second, but talk about hitting some big threes. Remember the one that hit the back of the rim, flew up about 12 feet and just dropped down to the middle of the hole. Ooh. Ryan Hawkins was feeling it for sure. I've been so impressed with Trey Alexander's decision-making and his ability to get downhill on defenders, come to a two-foot jump stop, and just allow the game to come to him. You could tell, you know, that's something that Coach Mack and the staff really preach, is to go get to a two-foot jump stop and not to try to go for those extended layups scoring off of one. Uh, that was one thing that I really struggled with in my career was to get down to a two-foot jump stop, especially like even like as a junior and a senior. Like I would think that I would have my shoulders by a guy. I'd be able to extend and get a quick layup. And like a lot of, of times, like those shot attempts were, you know, distorted because at the last second, a big would come over and really try to fly at me. I'd have to change my path of how I'm getting to that layup package. But Trey Alexander has learned as a freshman to get downhill, get on a two-foot jump stop and use his upper uh, body strength to get the ball up nice and softly on the board. And, and for the most part, it rolls in for him. If not, he's able to spray it out and kick it out to shooters. So I've been so very impressed with his decision-making and his ability to just do that. And I think that's a testament to the coaching staff and what they preach him every day since getting on campus. Now, obviously, I haven't seen him play as a high school athlete. I don't know if that's something that he does just intrinsically. Uh, but in a Blue Jay uniform, he's really getting into the paint and making great decisions out there. So shout out to the young fella. Uh, you've really impressed me in, in your ability to just get downhill and keep up the good work, man. Keep up the good work. You're really putting defenses in the bind every time that you're able to step into the paint and, and do what you do. So today, like you said, Trey, big time game and big time free throws at the end of the game. So some big old cojones there to be able to step in the line uh, on the road, number 17 as a freshman. I think he made three or four down the stretch that sealed the game for the for the Jays, especially in one-on-one free throw situations. So big-time game. Congrats. Congrats to Trey and, and big time. It's good to see Hawkins back in his bag. Oh, yeah. No, huge game for Trey. Um, not only five for six from free throws. Really seems much more comfortable out there. He's found his pace uh, and led the team in assists that day. Um, right along with him kind of finding that role, um, he's become a huge part of this team. Um, the roles kind of, we're, we're 20 games in, 10 games left to go, um, non-tournament games. Roles seem to be solidifying. Uh, Trey's coming to a bigger role. Roddy's coming to a bigger role. Um, Fiesel's kind of found his rotational spot. Um, do you see any more surprises coming? You know, Alexander having this much of a role was kind of a surprise to a lot of us. Um, you see anything else like that, or do you think we've kind of figured out, figured out how this team fits together? So here's where injuries kind of forces players to – elevate their game at a much quicker pace. I imagine that Sharif Mitchell's absence through Trey Alexander and kind of like that backup point guard role. We saw early on in the year, Coach Mack tried to go with Rotti in that role. Didn't kind of like the, he liked the energy that Rotti gave, but not the, you know, ability to set up an offense, which I think Rotti still has a chance to develop in his career. But for the time being, it just was not working for the JSO. He goes to plan B. Trey, you bring the ball up. Especially, I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of times when he's in there with Ryan Nemhard and Ryan's getting face guard, he just brings the ball up and Ryan plays as a two for that possession and he plays as the point guard and the offense still has that ability to flow. Uh, I, I, I likened that back to my time when we had Austin Chapman and Grant Gibbs. Grant Gibbs would take off that secondary point guard role if Austin ever got face guarded. Teams kind of understood Austin's going to set them up and get everybody going. 
once we figured out that Grant could do, you know, the same things and, and kind of take a little bit of pressure off of Austin, we were able to, you know, have that same continuous flow. And I'm seeing that with that, this team right now with Trey Alexander. Um, but yeah, roles are certainly getting solidified. And, and I think the, the point where all of this started to happen is unfortunately it was an injury by Sharif Mitchell. Because mm-hmm. I imagine that Trey Alexander got, you know, recruited to play the two, three role, kind of a swingman uh, wing player. And now all of a sudden he's being thrusted into this backup point guard role, which, you know, we see in some situations, he obviously does struggle. Like it's not me singing all of his praises today. Uh, but for the most part, you know, when things like that are getting thrown at you, I just, I just love his response, his, the moxie that he has about him. Uh, it seems like the moment is not too, too big for him. And he's able to just kind of slow things down uh, at times and, and just execute the offense the way it's meant to be executed. Um, and you saw it down the stretch. I think they needed a bucket late. Coach Mack went one for ISO for Trey Alexander, of all people, and he's able to get downhill and get a tough bucket off the glass. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of like the Jays' rotation right now. Uh, I, I love what uh, Fizel does for him. He brings him a little bit of toughness off the bench. Uh, I think, in my opinion, he deserves a little bit more minutes. You know, it's not for me to say I'm not on the staff. But mm-hmm. for what he provides and a little bit of uh, time that he's out there, uh, I, I think if you extend his minutes just by, by a, a touch, a, a little two minute there, a minute over here, uh, he's going to be able to provide a little bit more for the Jays and also give Cockburner a bit of a rest. We saw that he went down with an ankle injury that did not look good uh, in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, you know, hopefully he's able to recover it and, and get back on the floor as quickly as possible. But if he's not available, look, throw Keyshawn in there. Let's see what he can do. Uh, and, you know, you brought him over as a transfer because you obviously felt that he, there were some things he could provide for the team. So if Cogbrenner is not able to go, we're going to have to rely on him. And my, my opinion is that he's going to be able to provide the Jays with some big time uh, minutes and then be a little bit more productive in those minutes. Yeah. And other than just a role change for Fizel, I mean, losing Cockbrenner in the case of a non-immediate return, we're not sure at this point. Uh, how do you mm-hmm. think that changes the complexion of this team? Well, you saw that Coach Mack went small ball a little bit. And at times at Arthur Kaluma guarding their five with obviously different traps and, and backside rotations set up. So uh, I like Arthur's toughness in those situations. It looks like he wasn't trying to, you know, give up an inch. Obviously, he was a smaller guy in those situations, but he was really fighting, really working to front. And, you know, I, I think my neighbors hate me out here because I think I, I just keep calling out UConn sets like they can hear me through the screen. Like <laughs> a lot of those sets were based off misdirections, right? I don't know the actual names, but you could just kind of see the play developing. And as a former player, I just keep yelling misdirection, misdirection at my screen. And I know at like three, four o'clock in the morning, my neighbors are probably going to call the police on me here to get me to stop yelling at the screen as much as I do. But they kept trying to run sets so that the big can have isolations in the middle of the paint. Now, what that does for bigs, for, you know, the casual fan out there who doesn't quite understand, as a defense, you want bigs. If you're going to have a mismatch situation, you want bigs to post up on the blocks. That helps set up double teams. That helps set up backside rotations, like I said earlier, uh, where a smaller guy actually kind of, you know, depending on how he plays defense, can have an advantage because he's trapping or he's setting up a trap for the big to put the ball down. When he picks it back up, two guys are going to be on him and he's going to be rendered ineffective. What UConn was doing once they realized that that was the Jays' plan, they were trying to run a whole bunch of uh, sets where the ball would swing from side to side before you know it a ducking would happen in the middle of the paint and not on either block so what that does now it, it really troubles that trap defense because 
anywhere that the second defender is going to come from is going to be an easy pass and an open three for UConn in which they executed they executed that uh, very well, you know, down the stretch. Uh, whether or not they made their shots, and that was up to the players, but they were able to get the shots that they wanted, in my opinion. So to have Arthur be able to really fight and front in those situations is a big time plus because not only does it force the big to catch the ball up a little bit higher than he'd obviously want to, now it makes it tougher uh, or it makes the decision easier for the defenders to not double in those situations because he sees that, oh, he's away from the rim. He's no longer a threat from this position and we can stay at home on shooters. And then not only was that happening, but the ball was having a very tough time going inside for those bigs in that situation. So to answer your question, I think Coach Mack is going to rely on a little bit more of small ball. Maybe he's going to throw Arthur in there with some deep, different traps and, and you know, backside rotation set up. And then obviously we have Hawkins who could do, you know, the same type of job as well. Uh, if they're deciding to not go with Keyshawn Fazell and to go with, you know, Hawkins and Kaluma at the 5-4 essentially for those situations. Um, not quite, you know, Doug McDermott, Rocky like, which is what I, which is what I'm thinking about when we had Rocky playing the five back in those days. Uh, but you know, those guys I think are actually bigger and more physical than Doug and Ethan were. So, you know, it's certainly going to help their defense out if they're able to set it up the right way. Wouldn't be a welcome to the J episode without a Doug comparison. <laughs> you know, I got to stop doing it, which is so funny. After I had him on the show, uh, you know, I said that. Hawkins reminded me a lot of the stuff that he did, which I now realize is a little bit blasphemous uh, because of how great Doug was. No knock on Hawkins, but, um, you know, I, I kind of think back about like some of the stuff that Doug did. I texted him after the show, just like, dude, I'm never comparing anybody to you ever again, bro. Trust me. Like, I, I'm never doing it again. So, and then here I go doing it again. So, you know, like, am I ever going to learn, you know, the things that I say have, have, karma you know uh repercussions i guess we'll see um but i think the couple of games after that that's when hawkins started to go into his slip so hawk i'm sorry dude that's probably my fault please come on the show i'll 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 apologize to you in front of the nation so that everybody could see but uh yeah no i'm gonna try not to compare anybody else to doug but it's just kind of hard because it's just the guy he was the man when we were on campus together so I just kind of always think about the times that we played and obviously Doug played a big part in that history. Oh, it's fair. But Hawkins come on the show. We can promise a comparison free episode. No worries. <laughs> be afraid of. Okay. You said we could promise, but can we? <laughs> Probably not. Honestly. Can we though? I mean, uh, again, he had a night like last time where he called the block, a couple of back down moves, pump fake, the defender bites all over, up and under. Oh, and yeah. like those are moves that, a lot of former Jays have done. So what am I going to say that I'm not going to compare the guy? I keep, I keep slipping into that hole and doing that in, anyway. So uh, I talked a little bit earlier about, you know, some of the, you know, I think fans are going to say, you know, why was uh, I'm blanking on the guy from UConn's name? I think it's Whaley, Isaiah Whaley, right? Why was he so open for threes in, in numerous situations? I think he made four out of like six, four out of seven, something along those lines. Yeah, I, I just felt like, you know, Coach Mack is big on percentages. You know, we talk about this era of analytics. I don't think Coach Mack is like an analytics reliant only type of coach, but he does look at the numbers and he does understand, you know, we're not going to be able to defend everything. What are we willing to live with? Which is a quote that a lot of coaches, uh, 
years. You know, we're going to live with him taking that shot. We're going to live with, you know, him making those decisions. Let's try to keep the ball away from such and such an individual and make the guy with a lower percentage kill us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy with the lower percentage killed them last night. I don't, I don't think that's Good. on the players necessarily because you could see Hawk, you know, which kudos to Hawk, who was guarding him for most of the game, to stay disciplined and be like, look, this is the guy that we said we're going to allow to, you know, shoot threes and, and be in those catch and shoot situations because obviously his percentage has shown that, you know, he wasn't able to do that as the years gone on. And, you know, kudos to Isaiah Whaley, too, to stepping up and, and making those big-time shots, especially knowing full well, oh, this is what the defense has given me. Uh, they're not uh, trusting the fact that I can make shots. Here's one, here's two, here's three. And I thought what's very important on the stretch is that Hawkins never uh, succumbed to the temptation of running at him and flying past him and allow him to really get into his game, which is going downhill, driving, be a really athletic guy around the rim and, and being a guy that's very difficult to stop once he, you know, gets his feet under him and decides to go up for a dunk or a layup attempt. So uh, I thought that was very important because you could see down the stretch, people always revert back to what they know best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he missed a, what I thought was a very important moment was another catch shoot situation, just as open as he was the whole game. But because now the game is getting tight, that shot matters a lot more than it did in the beginning of the first and the second half. He misses it wide, right? The Jays get another stop and are able to, you know, have that one four ISO that I was talking about with Trey Alexander going down and, and making a basket together and pushing that lead to six, uh, which really put UConn in a bind after that. So, uh, you know, those kind of defensive strategies is, you know, some things that Coach Rackett is has been really good at in his career to identify the person, you know, that is not, you know, doing so well in one aspect of the game and just really try to keep inviting them into those types of different situations and see how they react. Um, I think yesterday was an example of how sometimes it could come back and bite you in the butt, but, you know, percentages don't lie. They got the big shot that they needed to off of the same shot that they were giving up the whole game that happened to go in before and that didn't go in when it really mattered. So, uh, yeah, kudos to Hawkins once again for understanding the game plan, invading into those shots and, you know, staying disciplined and not flying at someone who clearly likes to drive the ball a lot more than to shoot it. No, and you're absolutely right. I caught a post-game press with Mac, um, and he acknowledged, right, Whaley burned us a few times, but he still felt that he would stand by that strategy. He'd do it again. Um, he thinks it mm-hmm. bought us more than it lost. So, it, right, clearly a, a game plan compromise going on. Well, we'll see if Coach Rack is a man of his work as UConn comes to, you know, Omaha in a couple of weeks. So uh, we're going to see if he's able to <laughs> – if he's going to look at that film and maybe tweak some things a little bit. Um, but yeah, percentages are what they are. You know, a lot of people don't like the analytics side of the game, but you know, analytics is essentially a story of what happened on the court. <laughs> like analytics don't lie. The stats don't lie. If you shot three for four, or if you shot one for eight, it's going to show up and it's going to tell you the story of the game essentially. So, um, you know, again, kudos to the Jays for staying on, on brand when it comes to that game plan. I've seen it so often in watching some of the different college basketball games in the landscape of, you know, the NCAA, uh, when a guy gets going, teams switch up their entire thing. And, you know, that, now they're opening themselves up to a lot more, you know, deficiencies in what they practice for throughout the week. Uh, I've seen it happen over and over again. Um, you know, it takes guts to be disciplined in that moment, especially when you're getting burned three, four, five times. Um, and, you know, the Jays were able to do it in that situation. And, you know, we hope 
uh, like we said, the, they learned from that Xavier loss. Uh, they were able to go on the on the road and beat a top 25 team in UConn, which is a very impressive, another impressive win that they could add onto their resume. And now I'm sure you're going to get into it with me, Jack, right now about where we see the Jays landing at the end of the season, right? You know, maybe I might have some notes on that. <laughs> well, let's hear it. So I know always your favorite part of the podcast is when I push you to talk about tournament stuff. Um, yeah. The March Madness update we've got. Um, we're currently Joe Lunardi's last team in which is a scary spot to be in, especially for a team that's young. Um, I mean, what do you see? What do you think about our chances? Do you think that's accurate? Um, and, you know, what does that mean to this team to maybe get that berth? Is it all about proving the haters wrong, showing, you know, that the estimation of the team being ninth in the Big East was horribly wrong, or is this more about gaining experience and looking forward for the next few years? Well, that's exactly where I was going to go to because I know the number one goal of this year's team is to prove that that Big East preseason ranking was a whole bunch of baloney, that they deserved a lot more respect. Um, and, and, you know, I think I said on the very first episode of season number two, Coach Mack is going to use that as board material like no other. I know every single day, whenever the, he feels like the boys are not working as hard as they should, he's going to bring up the fact uh, that they were preseason number nine in the Big East and a lot of people doubted them and, and yada, yada, yada. He did it with our team uh, the year after we made it to the tournament. He had uh, 222, the number 222 uh, printed on our practice shorts. And, you know, when we got him the first year of practice, we were like, Coach, like, what is this? I don't get it. And he kept harping on the fact that we were the 222nd best defensive team or the worst defensive team, I guess, the previous year. And we were the worst defensive team in the entire NCAA tournament. And that really motivated us every day to really work on that side of the ball. We knew we could score offensively. But it really changed our mindset about where we need to be defensively. And obviously, it led to a lot more wins, a couple more championships, and the move to the Big East eventually. You know, so Coach Mack is big on those bulletin board material stuff that he's able to provide to the team and just keep that hunger going at, for a long season that has so many ups and downs, especially during, you know, the pandemic, the last two and a half years that we've had to deal with. There's, stop it, there's starts and stops to the season all the time. You know, you need those, like, things to keep you motivated as the season goes on. So, uh so not only is that their number one goal is to prove the biggies wrong, but now that they've seen how good they can actually be and, you know, how bad they can actually be in some situations, they, I feel like the team looks at the NCAA tournament as like a reachable goal, which I thought it was from the, at the very beginning of the season. Um, they're right there in the thick of things. You know, they're in a big conference who's going to have five, potentially six teams make the tournament. Let's be honest. It's an 11-team conference. Five teams are in the top 25 right now. We just beat another one of those teams um, last night in a number 17-ranked UConn. So if you count their big-time wins, UConn on the road, Villanova at home, BYU while they were ranked in the top 25, you know, you got to look at the other teams that have those types of resumes. It doesn't happen often. Um, so last team in, not the spot that you want to see the Jays in for sure. But the beautiful part is, like you said, they got 10 games to make it up, including the Big East tournament as well. So uh, hopes are high for this team to make the tournament. I think they're going to get in that large bid uh, if they don't have a chance to win that Big East tournament championship. Um, and then it's all going to be seedings from there. You know, where are we going to be seated? Where are we going to be going? What kind of conspiracy theories the NCAA is going to throw us into? I know you guys are always trying to come up with storylines. Like, you guys are not fooling me. Um, but it'll be exciting to see what the Jays are going to look like down the stretch. 
Absolutely. So we talked about it, right? 10 games left to kind of prove your mettle and make all the changes and all the preparations you need for a young team. Uh, what kind of growth do you want to see out of the squad in the next 10 games to get ready for that Big East tournament and hopefully that March appearance? To be honest, I mean, I, I talk about exercising patience, but I want to see more consistency. That is the one thing that we've been lacking from the Jays all year. They could look like world beaters one night and they could look like disheveled and disinterested in other nights, which is so weird to me. You know, um, I just I want to see more consistency. Be that great team that you can be uh, on more often than not, at the very least. Uh, because, you know, like we said, 10 games left, those wins are really going to start piling up. You know, you're kind of on a race against the clock at that point because every opportunity missed, you're not going to get back. Uh, so, you know, I would like to see them go on a little bit of a, you know, three, four, five game run if they can and really kind of solidify their feet as like an NCAA tournament team. Uh, you know, if they, obviously I'm, it's kind of tough to expect them to win every single game from here on out and just kind of run the table. Uh, I don't want to put that kind of pressure on them, but I feel it's mildly important for them to just kind of get on a streak right now and just kind of get the mojo going, get them the momentum going, which, you know, we talked about this early on in the year too. I thought when they had to stop playing there for a little bit, it just kind of really stopped the mojo after beating Villanova at home in their first Big East game. Uh, you don't have to wait a little while before being able to play again. And that just kind of stopped the momentum. They had a huge game at Marquette on the road, double overtime win, and then the momentum stops again. Uh, you know, you, you kind of get things rolling. Coach Mack is in COVID protocol. He misses two games. So that's going to happen. Every team in the nation is dealing with stuff like that. Uh, you know, you just have to find a way to, to, to catch momentum when you can. And I hope the next couple of games are able to do so. So consistency is going to be the biggest thing that I'd like to see. And then aside from that, you know, uh, Arthur Kaluma, he had one really great game last week. At, it was Xavier on the road, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I'd like to see more consistency from him individually as well. Uh, you know, he comes in with a whole lot of promise, you know, the highest recruited uh, player in Coach Mack's tenure at Creighton. So, you know, a lot of stuff on his shoulders coming in. Uh, I think he's had a, a tough time dealing with, you know, this level of basketball, which is kind of weird because he played on his national team in the summer. He's played at a high level in his high school career and obviously internationally uh, in his young career as well. Uh, I thought that he'd be able to step in and just kind of be the one guy that we could really rely on, but it hasn't necessarily worked out uh, yet so far. But again, beautiful thing about college basketball. He has still 10 games to prove himself and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. So consistency from the team overall and consistency from Arthur Kaluma and, and better play from Arthur Kaluma going down a stretch of these games. Yeah, right. This, I mean, this is a team, young team without a lot of experience, especially no experience together. And then in a precarious situation, the 10 games left. Uh, we talk about likely five Big East teams getting in. They're tied for fifth right now. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's tight in that middle of the pack. Um, so how would you kind of gauge success for the rest of the season? Uh, what's a successful season for this team? Is it getting to the tournament? Is it making a deep run in New York at the Big East tournament? Uh, is it, you know, a record number? Or is it you know, certain players finding their roles, stepping up? What do you think? Uh, I think I can look at it from a couple of different facets. I think a successful run would be for them to at least make the semifinals of the Big East tournament. I think if they're able to make it to that game, you know, in those type of situations, it's a single elimination tournament. Anything can happen. They make it to the semifinals. They have a very good chance to make it to the Big East finals. I think every Crane fan would acknowledge that that is a great season for any Crane team to make it to the Big East tournament championship game. 
So my goal for them, which is I feel it's very reachable, make it to the Big East semifinals uh, in, in that tournament. Uh, obviously, in a bigger scheme of that, if you're able to make it to the tournament, then that becomes a domino effect of, uh, sorry, to the semifinals of the Big East tournament, that becomes a domino effect of making it to the NCAA tournament. And we're just going to have to see, you know, where they're at, what the matchup looks like. And then, again, single elimination tournament, anything can happen. Um, you know, if the boys get on a roll, who knows how far they could go, right? Um, in a more macro sense, there's a more like individual uh, aspect. I'd like to see Ryan Nemhard, you know, limit the turnovers. I would love to see that. I think the Jays have a better chance of walking it up to half and shooting a half-court shot than to just slowly hand the ball over to the other team and go back and transition defense. Um, and I think the uptick in his turnovers is really uh, – it, it makes it really tough on everybody else, right, because he is the lead guard. His job is to provide offense for everybody and himself, which is a very tough job. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, downplay that job at all. But he did such a good job of it early on in the year. Uh, I think it's time for him to kind of revert back to what he was doing a little bit early on in the year and not turning the ball over so much and really dishing out assists for the rest of the guys to get those guys settled in. Uh, I guess I could go kind of go down the line. Alex O'Connell, I already mentioned how impressed I was with his defensive effort. You know, he's been shooting the ball really, really well. And I think Coach Mack ran a couple of sets specifically for him, especially out of bounds sets specifically for him to knock down shots yesterday. I'd like to see Coach Mack run a couple more shooter sets for him. And, you know, Coach Mack's offensive playbook is, you know, it's basically the offensive Bible. He has all the plays. He has all the sets. He knows exactly how to get these guys open for shots. So I'd like to see more shooter sets for Alex, especially when everybody else has struggled to make threes. He seems to be the only guy that's been, like, really consistent uh, in making threes in Biggie's play, especially. And we already talked about Kaluma. I'd like to see more consistency out of him. Hawkins, bring back the, you know, pre-Biggie's play Hawkins and the sometimes Biggie's play Hawkins where he's been able to, to score at will, really put his fingerprint on the game. But what I love about Hawk, though, if he's not scoring, he's defending. You know, he's rebounding, he's hustling. So he's always going to be some type of asset on the floor for the Jays. It's just when he's able to score, the Jays become in that category of world beaters where they could just be anybody on any given night. Uh, I would like to see, you know, where Cogbrenner is at with this injury that he just suffered this past game. But he needs to just continue to do what he's been doing as far as defending the rim, uh, running the floor, you know, they run a whole lot of you know, misdirection sets to get him lobs and stuff. So he just needs to continue to finish strong around the rim. As he's shooting a high percentage, as he's always done and as he's always going to do. Um, and then obviously when he gets to the free throw line, step up and, and knock him down. And I think that's all we can really ask from Cockburn at this stage in his development uh, right now. Uh, off the bench, Rati keep providing energy. Trey Alexander keep providing a consistent player that the boys can rely on coming off the bench. Fizel, like I said earlier, is going to, you know, I hope is going to get more minutes and be more productive in those minutes. And that's kind of the eight-man rotation that they have going on right now um, until uh, – why am I blanking on my brother's name? Sharif, man. Yeah, until Sharif Mitchell comes uh, comes, on, comes back onto the floor. So, uh, yeah, so I guess I kind of just went down their lineup that they're playing right now. Um so, yeah, just to recap, reach the Big East semifinal game. I think it's going to be a big win for the Jays. And obviously, I think that's going to be a domino effect to them having their name called on Selection Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, not to be blasphemous, but to maybe go a little bit against the grain on the patience theme. 
you know, it's, right, it's a young team. It's definitely a young team and you don't want mm-hmm. expectations to be that high. Um, but I think it's easy to forget. I mean, all these seniors we've had come in um, bring so much talent, right? Fizel, O'Connell mm-hmm. and Hawkins. Uh, and it'd be really nice to make some noise while we still have them because losing them is going to be a big hit, uh, you know, and, and it'd be as hard to make a run next year, I would think. I agree uh, because they provided leadership. They've, provide, they've provided hustle and effort um, shooting, you know, that I think the younger guys, I still have not caught up to necessarily. If you look at the guys that are making the threes, the majority of them is Hawkins and O'Connell. We're going to lose that next year. Um, and I would just like to see, you know, for a guy like O'Connell uh, coming from Duke, you know, a highly touted player out of high school. He's just kind of thrown on the back burner behind the Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett teams. Uh, he tries to find a new home. He lands in Omaha. Uh, and then he kind of finds himself behind Zagorowski and, you know, Mahoney and, and Balik and those guys, uh, DJ. And, you know, he worked his way into the rotation last year for his Sweet 16 team. This is his last go around. I would love to see a happy ending for him as far as him being, you know, a, a senior that led his team to the NCAA tournament that won a game or two, was able to, you know, leave his fingerprints on the program. Um, as more than just, you know, the guy who transferred in from Duke, you know, like I really want him to cement himself as a Creighton Blue Jay and that's what he's going to be remembered as. So, yeah, you're right. You know, guys like him, guys like Hawkins, he's had such a journey uh, in, yeah. you know, Division Two basketball, moving on to a high Division One program uh, that we have here in Omaha um, to be able to, you know, show glimpses of how good he could really be you know, show glimpses of how many different coaches have passed on him in, in the past and, you know, to kind of prove not only the doubters, but his, I wouldn't say he proved himself wrong. I'm sure he thought that he was the greatest player of all time, even playing Division Two. But to prove the doubters wrong, the people who didn't recruit him, you know, to, to kind of go out on top as a NCAA tournament participant. Yeah, you would love to hear that story. And again, same thing for Fizel, who's a fifth-year, you know, transfer coming in with high hopes to play kind of got injured in preseason, couldn't really challenge for that starting five spot, uh, but can still play a key role down the stretch. You know, there, there's still time for him to, you know, put his print onto, you know, the Jays program and make sure that people recognize that once he leaves, you know, this is a spot that we're going to really have to fill because Keyshawn brought that kind of, brought this or that to the program. So, uh, yeah, you would love to see all those seniors go on top. you like to see seniors go on top every year. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't necessarily happen. But they have a chance to do it. And all you could ask for is a chance, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's easy to forget all the talk of youth and, and we don't have leadership. But these are guys who know how to win, right? O'Connell's played with, at Duke with how many people who are in the NBA now. Uh, and Hawkins has however many national titles. I mean, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. This is a team that can shake things up in March. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's not doom and gloom at all. Like, you know me, I'm the most unrealistic, biased podcaster in the nation. So... <laughs> The Jays are winning the answer of the tournament. Like I've already said, like how often? Um, but in all seriousness, though, this team has a chance to make a run. Uh, but I did mention earlier, every opportunity that you miss, you are not going to get back. So those games that you're supposed to win, you have to win them. The home games, you have to win them. And you have to present a challenge on the road. That is the recipe for the Jays. Win the home games, win the games you're supposed to win, and be challenging on the road. And I think it should be, you know, on the right path moving forward. So that that is what it is. Absolutely. Start to carry us out on a lighter note. I got to ask any favorite memories from the end of season tournaments. 
Oh, man, for me, quite a bit. I mean, obviously, you kind of go back to Arch Madness in St. Louis, which was our home away from home, as, you know, Jays fans remember. The creating crowds that came down to St. Louis was unbelievable, and it always matched up with our spring break, which was perfect. So you'd have the students come down, you know, late Thursday night. We would usually play on the Friday, play on Saturday, and then have the championship on Sunday. Um and, you know, they packed the crowd knowing full well that, you know, spring break is next week. There's no excuse not to be in St. Louis, right? So our students really showed up and showed out. The Omaha community that supports us on a nightly basis showed up and showed out. And it was just so fun, you know, winning back-to-back Valley Tournament Championships. I have this little uh, flag behind me. Shout out to my brother, Jimmy Maniga, who got me this flag after we won. The Jets was actually one of my birthday presents a couple of years ago. He was able to find one from a fan. Uh, get it delivered back to Canada and gave it to me as a present. So I, I bring it with me everywhere that I go overseas now. I just kind of hang it up just to kind of get that familiar feel of home while I'm abroad 10 months. And, you know, it all stems from what we did in Arch Madness tournaments. And and uh, so that's going to be definitely some fond memories that I'm never going to forget. That's hard to beat. It's, it's kind of, it is hard to beat. And we almost did it the next year by winning the Big East tournament. If, that pesky Providence team didn't slap on a two-three zone against us and just kind of threw us out, threw us out of whack for a little bit there. But ah, shit happens, man. I try not to think about that specific game. And them and the Baylor game are two games that I've erased from the ether of my memory. Uh, so let's change the subject before I get <laughs> before the nation sees tears fall down my cheeks. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh man jack i well you being you know on the band you're, are you going to be able to travel to new york this year for the biggest tournament has they has preparations for that already started or what's it looking like for the people who are going to travel as far as you know dance team band you know and, and all of the you know organizers are concerned what is it looking like yeah i just got it done last night so i got my plane ticket going to new york in a couple weeks <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. March Madness too. If we can get there, I'm excited for that trip. Hopefully, mm-hmm. um, but you might, you know, listeners might be catching a podcast where I'm in New York, right by Madison Square Garden. That'd be a fun one. That would be a fun one. I, I always wondered, you know, you guys are behind the scenes. You do so much, you know, get the crowd going. You play music at the games and all that stuff. What it actually looks like for you guys to get to the games? Because uh, I just remember thinking the first time we we're in a tournament, we went to North Carolina, right, Greensboro, North Carolina. So we get there obviously earlier than everybody else, but by game time, it's like the fans are there, you know, they're walking us out of our hotel, they're chairs out of our hotel, the band is there playing, the dance team is there. I'm just like, wait, when did all these people just show up? And, you know, as a player, you just kind of don't really think about that necessarily, but there's just so much more going behind the scenes that we have to, you know, be grateful for and thankful for. And I'm certainly one of the guys who, you know, learn to appreciate the stuff that you guys do. So, Obviously, this is your last go-around, so I would love to see you get to the NCAA tournament too, brother. No, I'm open for it. I had the plane ticket two years ago uh, when it got canceled, mm-hmm. and that was horrible. Yeah, uh, and then last year, did they not allow any nah, no fans. fans and stuff like that, right, because it was a COVID tournament? I got it. My, my one good behind-the-scenes story is um, mm-hmm. New York for the Big East tournament, and I have to run around with this giant drum set to get set up for all the places the basketball team, you know, wants people to play for them. Uh, mm-hmm. like walking through Madison Square or like uh, Times Square, which is like drums over my shoulder. And just people <laughs> hitting them. 
was like, oh no, I'm gonna get in so much trouble. New, New York, New York. Oh, that sucks too, because that was at the very beginning of the pandemic. So Lord knows what kind of health issues you were kind of putting yourself in without even knowing. A whole bunch of random people from New York touching your chest. <laughs> I get home, I was like, I don't know what COVID is, but I'm pretty sure I have it. There's no way I don't. <laughs> no chance in hell, brother. That's crazy. I like, that's one of those situations where I always think back, like, damn, like, they literally pulled the boys off the floor at halftime. Oh, yeah. And we, we didn't even know at that time what we're getting ourselves into. And lo and behold, two and a half years is still something that we're dealing with, unfortunately. But, you know, it seems like it's getting better. I, I pray that it gets better every day. I pray that I just wake up and it's back to 2019 way of life. But, you know, we, we just got to keep moving forward when it comes to this uh, COVID situation. Let's hope that the boys don't get any more interruptions into their games. There's no more delays and rescheduling and, we could just kind of finish off the season the way it's meant to be finished uh, with the boys on top winning the NCAA tournament, right? <laughs> with most biased show on the field of 68 media network for sure. I want to see, uh, bracket. Before, I expect to see that bracket with the Jays put in. Oh, I post it every year. I, it'll be on Twitter. You'll, you'll see it okay. on Twitter. And, and <laughs> I always say something on the lines of like update. This is the most like biased thing, but here's who I think is going to win, whatever. Like I put it on Twitter on my Instagram story for sure every year. So that people are definitely going to see it. Uh, before we sign out of here, is there anything else that we need to tell the Jays fans? <laughs> are, are we going to have to preach the exercise science right now? Or are we going to say, you know what, screw all that, put the foot on the gas, you know, cheer for the boys as long as they can, expect them to be as good as they possibly can be, as opposed to just watching the development of the young guys. Uh, and then hopefully, like you mentioned, sending the seniors out uh, on a high note. No, I mean... We're there. We're two-thirds of the way through the season. Um, certainly been a lot of surprises so far. A lot of things I did not see coming. Um, but we got to be happy with where we're at. And I'm really excited for this next stretch, too. It's going to be great. And we certainly got to stay tuned in, stay locked in, cheer as much as we possibly can, because that's what, that's what we can do as fans. That's what we can do as former players, alumni. That's what we can do to provide support for the Jays. So, you know, continue to cheer the Jays on. It was such a beautiful sight to see. Pink out game is one of my favorite games to watch, obviously, for all the meanings that it has behind it. Uh, Fox News, or Fox News, Fox Sports 1 did such a great job of, you know, showing, you know, the crowd and everything and, and really speaking to that. Uh, it was so lovely to see how many people were just obviously supporting a good cause. And not only that, but all those buzz in those seats that were cheering on the Jays, even when it seemed like, you know, nothing was going right for 11 straight minutes. But you know, as fans, this is what we do. So keep prov providing that support for the boys. I could tell you as a former player, we certainly appreciate it. We certainly see it. Um, and we certainly want to play harder, you know, for you guys. So, you know, keep doing what you guys are doing. You guys are doing a wonderful job. Old Jays, baby. We're old Jays always. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. Uh, I'm your host, Jahan Zvanga. This was Jack Hanson, me and my producer. Dude, I appreciate you so much. You guys don't know how much work this guy does behind the scenes to, you know, edit and, and provide content for you guys. So Jack, always super appreciative of you. Thank you again for coming on the show so we could do another State of the Jays address uh, just to kind of get our feet under us and see, you know, where the boys are at in this stage of the year. Uh, so as always, I want to make sure that you guys stay safe and go Jays. <laughs>